All right, we're in Psalm 109 this morning. Psalm 109. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms, slowly but surely. Started in Psalm 1, and here we are. I think this is the 66th study, and we're in Psalm 109. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst, and we know you have a plan and a purpose. As this week unfolded, things happened that we didn't know were going to happen, and, and here we are. We're now having to deal with things, maybe good, maybe bad, maybe hard, maybe devastating. But God, you knew. You know the beginning, and you already know the end. And so we thank you for that, and we just pray for your Holy Spirit to comfort our hearts this morning. Whatever this past week held, we thank you that you're holding us, and you have a plan, you have a purpose, and you will show us eventually, maybe we'll be in heaven, but most of the time you show us, and we give you the praise. But Lord, help us to give you the praise now, to give you the praise today, for even the hard times, because you're good, you haven't changed. You're loving, you're gracious, you're merciful. So just help us to praise you. Help us to command our soul to give you the praise you so deserve. And Father, I pray for the gift of teaching and that you'll be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Psalm 109 to the chief musician, a psalm of David. And we're now in hymnal book 5 of the book of Psalms, Psalm 107 to 150, and remember these were brought together during the time of Ezra, and Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries, so during that time frame. And it's possible that David may have written this while being chased by King Saul. David was innocent, but was hunted by a madman, by a king, and in this psalm, David is very graphic in his prayer against his enemy, whomever that might be. So I'm not saying it definitely is King Saul, but pretty good chance it was. And again, you'll want to remember, David lived around 1,000 B.C. So 3,000 years ago, David is expressing his heart here. Do not keep silent, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. Notice that there. They have fought against me without a cause. David here is expressing his heart about those who have come against him, that they are liars. And, and they've, they're coming against him personally in return for my love. Listen to his heart here, guys, because I bet this would apply to every single one of us in this room. One way or another, maybe when we were teenagers, maybe a, a friendship, a relationship, maybe with our siblings, maybe with our parents or co-workers. In return for my love, they are my accusers. <laughs> but here's the key. And I have this part of verse 4 highlighted. But I give myself to prayer. When people say the Bible is not relevant, they're not reading their Bible. That is key to you and me this morning as a believer. Because there are going to be those who come against you falsely. 
there, whether you're in the church, even in the ministry, this has happened to me in my 23 years of full-time ministry, even prior to that. That's just part of life. And so what do you and I need to do? We need to forgive. Biblical principle, we need to forgive. We might need to put up healthy boundaries. There's nothing wrong with being healthy, having healthy boundaries. But we do need to forgive to guard our hearts against bitterness, resentment, anger. Because as you, as you go through that, as I go through that, and I feel bitterness when I hear somebody's name, that's a pretty good indication that I've forgiven them, but I haven't forgiven them. I've forgiven them. Oh, yeah, I forgive them. But boy, when I hear their name, oh, I remember, I remember, I remember. So you really haven't forgiven them. Mentally, yes, but no, not with your whole mind, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thus, they have rewarded me for good and hatred for my love. So the question is, as you think about this and you think about your own personal relationships, do I dare do this? Yeah, I, I think I can do this. Just so that everyone I think can maybe understand. Have, do, can any of you specifically, can any of you specifically rate, uh, relate to these first five verses here? Any of you? Raise your hand high. Don't be afraid. So that people can look around and go, okay, I'm not alone in this. You see, that's reality. That's reality. That's this life. But thank God we're going to heaven where none of that will take place. But here we see a man who's, thank God, pouring out his heart. Because these things that he has gone through 3,000 years ago, we're going through. And listen to his prayer now. <laughs> and, and we'll get to, no, this is not our prayer, but this is David's prayer. He's just, he's opening his heart. This is my heart. He didn't have the whole counsel of God like we do now. Set a wicked man over him. <laughs> and let an accuser stand in his right hand. The right hand in, in the scriptures is typically symbolic of strength. Strength. They're accusing me. I love them. They're accusing me. I'm trying to be nice. They're backbiting me. Okay, God, here's my prayer. Do it to them. Do it to them. There's always somebody more wicked than they are. Find that wicked person and put them right next to him. When he is judged, let him be found guilty. And let his prayer become sin. Now remember, David says that you don't hear my prayer when I have iniquity in my heart. When I hold iniquity in my heart, God, you don't hear my prayer. God bless my sin. Uh, is God going to hear that prayer? Obviously not. But sometimes we think he does. Let his days be few and another take his office. Let his children be fatherless. <laughs> and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from their de desolate places. Let the creditor seize all that he has. And let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him. Nor let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off. And in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. You don't want to be on David's prayer list as far as the bad man. <laughs> let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. This is the same guy who penned. He cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. But he's expressing his heart. <laughs> let them be continually before the Lord that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. 
because he did not remember to show mercy. Mercy to who? To David. But persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart, as he loved cursing, so let it come to him. And as he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, so let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him and for a belt which he girds himself continually. Let this be the Lord, let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers and to those who speak evil against my person. What a prayer. Well, let's read the whole council. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 44. But I am thankful that David expressed his heart. Because I think that's our heart at times. And we'll get to that in a few moments. But first, let's look at what should we do as Christians. How should our actions be? Well, in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching his disciples and others who may have been gathered there, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy and hate your, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Did you just hear that in David's prayer? There's a lot of hate in David's prayer. But what does Jesus say? But I say to you, love your enemies. Now again, for you and I, we probably read these verses many, many times. And so they kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to take this like maybe this is the first time you've heard it because maybe you have something against somebody in your workplace this week or in your neighborhood or in your family and you've forgotten the simplicity of these verses and in your mind you don't consider them an enemy like David just prayed but in your heart you're not they're not your friend either. You're like, yeah, I don't care if I ever see him again. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And notice this, and pray for those who spitely use you and persecute you. Pray. Well, pray like David did? No. Obviously, we want to read the rest of the scriptures. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. 14 through 21. Paul writing, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, again, we want to have a healthy perspective from Genesis to Revelation because I know sometimes people will walk away from this and going, well, what about church discipline? And and what about somebody that's doing something inappropriate? Obviously, guys, we need to have healthy boundaries. You need to be reading your whole Bible. We're not to be Christian doormats. We're not to allow abuse to take place, physical, emotional, sexual, verbal. So just stay in focus with the whole word of God, okay? With the whole word of God. So if if this is possible, obviously, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one. No one. So this would be, do not repay a believer as well as an unbeliever. Do not repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men or mankind. If it is possible, and again, here's the key. 
if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all mankind. Live peaceably as long as within you. There are some people who do not want peace. They want to steal, they want to kill, they want to destroy. That is obvious in our culture, that is obvious around the world. So as much as lies within us, live peacefully with them. If they don't want peace, then set up healthy boundaries. Just set up healthy boundaries. I've told people to lose my phone number. Just lose my phone number. You're vile. You're evil. You're mean-spirited. You're contentious. You're not trying to reconcile or restore You just have hatred in your heart and you're trying to infect other people. So just lose my phone number. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe they need that to help them to wake up like, wow, somebody's actually standing up against me. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. And this is key even to our psalm here this morning. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Key there, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. The more you associate with an evil person, you are going to find yourself complaining about the Republicans or complaining about the Democrats or complaining about the liberals or complaining about somebody. So you have to be careful who you hang with and how you talk about other people. They need Jesus. That's the bottom line. Who's right and who's wrong? Not sure. Wasn't there. Didn't do it. But I know they need Jesus. Their behavior shows me that. You'll know a tree by its fruit. So we need to do what? We need to pray for their salvation. But also in verse 20 there, in case you're wondering, you might be new to the faith, heap coals of fire on his head. That doesn't sound very nice. Well, again, you want to go back to the culture. When they got up in the morning, they didn't go out to the stove and turn it on. If they went out in the morning and they had a fire and their fire went out, they couldn't bake their bread for the morning, they couldn't do their their duties for the morning, they would go to a neighbor and say, could I have some coals? Well, yes, I'd love to bless you with some coals. So there's the idea. So you're literally not taking, I know how to get them. I'm going to sneak up on them in the morning and drown them with coals. It's a blessing, but obviously you need to know a little bit about the culture. So in other words, just bless them, bless them, bless them. Even if their fire goes out and they're going to go hungry, no, give them coals. That's a blessing. Let's look back into the Psalm 21 through 25. Because David felt all alone and that those who were once his friends are now despising him. But you, O God, the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake. Because your mercy is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like a shadow which when it lengthens. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak with fasting, and my flesh is feeble from lack of fatness. I have also become a reproach to them. When they look at me, they shake their heads. Isn't this a great expression of what David is going through, and maybe what you're going through even this morning? So don't ever think the Bible is irrelevant. 3,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit inspired David to write down his innermost thoughts. And maybe, or maybe this coming month or year, you will have these exact same thoughts. You're not alone. 
turn to the word of God. Because we see here, help me, O Lord my God. Help me. Oh, save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you bless. Lord, let them curse me. Fine, let them curse me. I know you're going to bless me. I know you're going to take care of me. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with shame and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace as with a mantle. Let their own accusations fall upon their own heads. You see, when David was delivered, he wanted his enemies to know that it was God, not David, that it was God who had brought forth the truth. And if this was about King Saul, as we leave that slide up there for a moment, it's interesting that on two specific occasions, David had the opportunity to actually take King Saul's life. He could have killed him with his own sword. Yet he wouldn't do it. He deferred to God and allowed God to remove King Saul at his appointed time. And we don't know for certain, but it's estimated that King Saul chased David for possibly up to 10 years. For possibly up to 10 years. You see, David here gives us a great example of how allowing God to be our defense. And his personal, this is just my own note, his personal prayer life, his personal prayer life might not reflect that, but it's not easy to let God defend you. Again, I've been in this situation. To walk away and just pray for that person and and love that person at a distance and just knowing, God, your word says you're going to take care of me. I've seen other pastors go through this and I, I do know the outcome. Most of the time it's good, but sometimes it, it goes into eternity. I'm just going to trust in you. And God has always worked it out. Sometimes it's taken years. But God has always worked it out. And he's given me a peace even in the midst of the trial. Because our flesh, I think we all would have to admit this, our flesh desires to lash out and get even. Our flesh wants to make somebody pay for the pain that we're feeling. But it's best if we leave it up to the Lord. Again, I know that's not easy. You have to mature in that area. I have to continue that as well. And so David does pray, and God knows how to deal with the disobedient accordingly. In verses 30 and 31, I love the fact that David makes a commitment to praise the Lord even during this very hard time. For again, he knows that God will stand at his right hand and plead his case. I will greatly praise the name of, I will, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will, notice that, praise him among the multitude. For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those who condemn him. So a great psalm, when you feel like somebody's coming against you, somebody's talking evil about you in your workplace, uh, and you think, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean that under your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll guide your paths. He'll take care of you. He really will. Psalm 110. Again, a psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 
You see, Psalm 110 shows us once again that God chose to use David as one of his prophets. It is a psalm that is referenced in the New Testament more than any other psalm. Psalm 110 here. It is referenced at least 25 to possibly up to 30 times, with the book of Hebrews being the predominant force of information about this unknown figure in the Old Testament known as Melchizedek, the priest of Salem. This would definitely be labeled a messianic psalm. And so, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Lord, capital, all caps there, you'll notice that. That's Father, speaking of Father God, Yahweh, said to my Lord, lowercase, capital L, lowercase, that's Adonai, or Master, Master, which would be the Messiah. And as you read your Bible, you'll know, remember that Jesus used this very verse to put the silence, the Pharisees and the other religious elite of his day. You see, in any culture, the less, the less, which the son would be, and this is basically in any culture, would never bless the greater. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, day to day. Yeah, Lord, Dad, bless Dad, bless. No, I'm saying final blessing or a blessing of authority. It is always the father who would pass on that final blessing, not the son to the father. And that's plays into exactly why the ones who were doing the blessing had to be the Messiah, the eternal one. And that is why the Pharisees couldn't, nor wouldn't give Jesus the interpretation of his question, because they wouldn't have been admitting their way of thinking was wrong, and that Jesus was in fact the Son of God. You see, David makes reference to the Messiah ruling and reigning from Zion, or what is also called Jerusalem. And this is obviously a future event in which the Messiah will rule over the whole earth with a rod of iron. Revelation 19.11 says this, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Remember that, Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. You see, his judgment will be right or fair because, because he is Faithful and True. Not that he might be, kind of, sort of. No, he is. He is faithful and true. You can see the Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus, will rule and reign from the right hand of God, which is symbolic of authority and power. And we see this statement frequently in the New Testament because Jesus overall and holds all things together. And so the Father was going to exalt the Son by making his enemies his footstool which was an analogy of an enemy's defeat and then humiliating them in the presence of all by having them bow down at the victor's feet. Verse 3, your people shall be volunteers. Now, every pastor loves this verse. In the day of your power, but in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. You know, as a volunteer, as a believer, I am called to volunteer for the Lord. And as I do that, you'll remember the parable. He who's been faithful in a little will be given much. Well done, thou faithful steward. You are faithful over ten cities. You are faithful over five cities. I'm going to make you a ruler over ten cities. I'm going to make you a ruler over five cities. That could be insinuating something about the millennial reign of Christ. That maybe those who have been faithful, and I'm not just talking about in the pulpit, anyone, any believer What the Lord has asked you to do, whatever that might be, behind the scenes or out front, that's irrelevant. What it's all about is your faithfulness to what God has asked you to do, whatever that might be. 
If as you are found faithful, he's going to commend you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I think we forget that last part. Servant. I am a servant. God is not here to serve me. I am here to serve God. However that might play out during the whole week. Not just on Sunday morning. We don't want to limit this to just Sunday morning, an hour and a half on Sunday morning. But rather the whole week, serving my mate, serving my family, serving coworkers, serving neighbors, whatever it might be, just serving and asking God, God, what, maybe what do you want me to do specifically maybe today? Is there something that you want me to do specifically? And just praying and then being obedient to that. You will be found faithful. Verse four, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now here's an interesting character that the Mormons have taken totally out of context. Now I want to say this because I, I, there might be a visitor here. I'm not bashing Mormons. We don't bash other religions. But we have to be mature enough and adult enough to talk about other religions so that we can know there's a difference between religions. And so don't, don't leave here saying, well, he bashed Mormon. No. Let's have, you know, we're just going to have an adult conversation here. This is what they believe. They believe that they take Melchizedek out of context. And so let's just see what the Word of God says. Because again, it says, going back to verse 1, the Lord, Yahweh, will make the Messiah a priest, which was unheard of at this point in the history of Israel. Remember, David is writing this. So there's an, there's a priesthood established. The priesthood belonged to the tribe of Levi. And not just anyone could come along and say, hey, you know, I, I want to be a priest today. There was a king in the Old Testament as you read your Bible. And he actually took it upon himself to do that. He actually went into the holy place to offer incense on the altar of incense. And the priests were saying, you're not a priest. You can't do that. And they were trying to stop the king of Israel. It wasn't King David, another king. And the king said, get out of my way, I'm doing it. And as he went in there, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Leprosy broke out on his forehead. And the priest looked at him, and then they forcibly removed him. They didn't care. And he was never healed of that leprosy. God's serious about his order. And so David is expressing here that, you know, you just couldn't, yeah, I think I'll be a priest today. No. Lineage was crucial, and the Israelites were very meticulous about who they belonged to, to which tribe. So I'm going to read some scriptures here. You can write them down, or you can take a picture of them. We're going to kind of go fast for sake, time of, uh, time of, sake of time. Slow down here. Luke 2.36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineel, of the tribe of Asher. The tribe of Asher. Acts 26. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God day and night, hope to attain. Not past, present, when Paul was alive. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Philippians 3, 4 and 5. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. They didn't need DNA testing. They knew who they belonged to. 
And then Paul makes reference to the Messiah's lineage in Romans 1, 1 through 4, where he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, which would then be what? The tribe of Judah, not Levi according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, the Messiah was going to come through the tribe of Judah, but he will not only be that prophet, again, as you read the Old Testament, you'll remember that Moses said there's going to be a prophet, capital P, who's going to come after me, he will lead you. So that was in reference to the Messiah. He's not only going to be that prophet, he will also be the priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, let's look at Genesis 14. Let's look at Genesis chapter 14. Who this man was in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. And we're not going to read the whole story, but just these verses. You guys can read more about it. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Interesting. As this unravels and unfolds or unpacks or whatever terminology you want to use. And as you do a further study, that's very interesting. What is that? That's communion. He was the priest of God most high. Well, there's not even a priesthood yet. Twelve tribes aren't in existence. This is Abraham. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tithe of all. Who is this guy? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 7. And again, that's why you want to read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Hebrews chapter 7. And if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to pick one up. They're on the chairs below you. Hebrews chapter 7. To see who this person really was. You see, you don't have to take and make a weird doctrine out of something that is clearly explained in the Bible. But this is what some people will do, and they do it as well with many other scriptures. Jehovah Witnesses, Muslims, Roman Catholics. Again, we're not bashing religion. We're explaining what religion does. They take scriptures out of context. For Hebrews chapter 7 tells us this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Verse 3 here is really, really key. Without father, without mother, without genealogy. Now the Israelites, the Jews, were very, very methodical in their in their lineage. They knew very specifically, who belonged to who. But all of a sudden, this priest, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspires the author here, who I believe to be Paul, wouldn't argue, says this, without father, without mother, what, what, what would that make him? He's not human. Well, if he's not human, he must be an alien. He's not an alien. He's not an alien. He's the priest of the Most High God having neither beginning of days nor end of life, made like what? The Son of God remains 
a priest continually. Remains a priest continually. Very, very important. You see, verse 3 gives us our answer as to whom this man was that appeared out of nowhere to Abraham, the father of our faith. And it's called what the, what the scholars would call a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And the author here states very plainly that Melchizedek had no lineage, which again, the Jews were very meticulous about their lineage. So if a person had no lineage, no beginning nor end, then that leaves only one conclusion, that the person was and is God and not a mere man. Now, as that's up there, you might remember another story in the Gospel of John where the Pharisees and the religious elite are questioning Jesus, and Jesus said, Abraham saw me. Abraham saw my day. Well, you're not even 50 years old. How could Abraham have seen you? Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was saying, I saw Abraham. It was me who came to Abraham. And as you weave the scriptures together, it's, it's obvious. It's obvious. So it's not the Mormon Melchizedek, a special priesthood that only the Mormons have. No, it's a special person who is the prophet, who is a priest, who is the Messiah, Jesus. Very, very simple. So just stick with the Bible. It unfolds itself very, very clearly. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So as we think about the priesthood, who made intercession in the Old Testament for the people? The priest out of the tribe of Levi. And it was the only, it was only the priest who could make intercession on behalf of the people. So since Paul makes reference to Christ making intercession for us, then the Christ is also a priest. And after his heavenly order, not earthly order, after his heavenly order, You'll find this very interesting. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. You become a priest as well. Yes, male and female. In Revelation 1, 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, as John is writing this, he's on the island of Patmos being persecuted by an earthly king. So you might think, well, if Jesus overall, again, the whole Bible, Jesus is going to come and rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we're all priests. Well, how does that work out practically? Well, James 5.16 says this. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You see, every believer, male or female, can pray or intercede for one another by going to the throne of grace. And this doesn't mean that we are bypassing Jesus, our high priest. But we are actually going to our high priest, Jesus, on behalf of someone else. Again, I'm just going to read these scriptures. Jim has a slide, so you can take a picture or write them down. 
John 14, most assuredly I say to you, Jesus says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So as we pray, we're going to the Father, but we're going to Jesus, who is our intercessor. And so that's why you'll often hear people pray in Jesus' name at the end of their prayer. They're associating that. John fifteen sixteen says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. John sixteen twenty three, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. 8.34, Romans 8.34. He, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, repeating what we just said earlier. And then Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is also able to save to the guttermost, uttermost, those who come to God through him. Since he always, the he here is Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. Now, there are many examples in the New Testament of people who are alive, praying for others, and it is a blessing and a privilege to do so. Every Saturday morning, guys, every Saturday morning, we've, we're going, this Thanksgiving, we're going to celebrate 15 years of being in Queen Creek, Calvary. But even before that, we started the church on a Saturday morning with Larry and Phyllis in their house with a prayer meeting every Saturday morning, and we do prayer meetings Every Saturday morning from 8.30 to 9.30. Any one of you can attend. It's an open prayer meeting. I encourage you to attend. I encourage you to attend. On average, we have eight people on average. I know life happens. I know we all have busy schedules. But take a Saturday a year out and come to the prayer meeting. Maybe two or three. You're going to be blessed. And you're going to see how important prayer is. It's very, very important. There are... There is a very important exception, though, that the Roman Catholic Church errs on. We're specifically instructed to not pray to those who have died. And that's called necromancing in the Bible. Deuteronomy 18 says this. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium. Isn't there somebody in New Jersey that does it? Hmm. Or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. Second Kings 23, moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem. Notice that. The Jews were doing exactly what Deuteronomy said not to do, and that's why they were being persecuted and being washed, taken off the land. But here comes along Josiah, this incredible king, and he starts clearing house. All the abominations that are seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book, 
that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. And as you read the story, they weren't even reading the Bible. Yeah, it's this book that Josiah didn't even know existed. They went and they were cleaning out the whole, as you read your Bible, they were cleaning out the holy place. Hey, what's this? I wonder what this is. Not that anybody in America does that with their Bible, but almost every household in America has a Bible. They, they get out this little bit. What is this? Oh, wow. And they start reading it. This is God's word. Most people in America just have a big old mule choking Bible with pictures in it that they open up every now and then to put a birth or a wedding or a funeral in it. Guys, you and I as believers, we need to be opening our word every single day on a regular basis, going back to the word of God and be, be ecstatic like Josiah. Once he heard the word of God, it transformed his life. He said, this is why we're receiving what we're receiving. Think of America today. Why is why are we receiving what we're receiving today? Why is crime? Why is... You guys know. Now, before him, there. listen to what it says. Listen to this commentary about a, a young man who, when he heard the word of God, repented, got ecstatic about the word of God, and said, we're going to follow that book. Well, it's archaic. This is 2018. We're not going to follow the book. No, no. We're going to follow the book from Genesis to Revelation. Now, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. Isn't that awesome? What did Jesus say the two greatest commandments are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is Josiah doing? I just love God. I love God's word. And I want to show that. I just don't want to keep it in here. I want it to sink down here. And I want to show it. Guys, that's for you and me today. Not to get caught up in the political nonsense. Not to get caught up in the male against female nonsense. Not to get caught up in the black versus white nonsense. But to get caught up in Jesus. And let everyone know, you know what the problem is? People need Jesus. Oh, get out of here. Okay, well, I just didn't want to argue about anything else. I just wanted to put the truth out there. If you don't want to hear it, you don't want to hear it. But, guys, be careful. It's so easy to get caught up in the arguments. According to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. As the music team comes up and we look back in Psalm 110 to finish up the psalm, that is a huge exhortation for you and me, guys, as we go about our lives As we go about this life, which we need to go about, we need to be responsible, we need to work, we need to provide for our families. I'm not negating any of that responsibility. We we can't all become monks and go in caves and hum all day. That's not what it's about. People need to see Jesus in your life. That Jesus is real. Why are you excited about Jesus? I mean, do you get more excited about Jesus or a sports team? I know some Christians, they can rattle off statistics back into the 70s and 80s, but they can't quote John 3.16. There's a problem there. I mean, we've got to be mature enough to say, there's a problem there. If I can remember stats about different people, but then when it comes to Bible, oh, I just can't memorize scripture. Really? Did you just hear what you rattled off to me? And you're trying to tell me you can't memorize a simple scripture? Where's your love at? Is your love for the sports team or for the American idol or for Jesus?
Guys, I know you're here because you love Jesus. But take that, take that for what it is. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you, then go with that. And get your Bible open and memorize scriptures that we all need to do. Psalm uh, 110, 5 through 7. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge amongst the nations. This is the second coming of Jesus. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Father, we thank you and praise you that your word tells us the whole story. But a lot of times we just don't read the whole story because we're so afraid we're not going to understand that's a fear, that, that fear is a tactic of the enemy. Father, we, we don't need to be afraid of your word. Help us to have a healthy fear of you. That we might grow by the word of God. That we might be like Josiah. That we might be excited about your word. How practical it is, how applicable it is, how real it is. How we can use it in our lives. Father, we just thank you and praise you. That your Holy Spirit dwells within us. So Father, I pray for myself and every believer in this room. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And give us that desire that we might have that same testimony. That Josiah had. Man, there's nobody in this family. There hasn't been a family member that loves Jesus more than you. You're, You're just crazy how much you love Jesus. Give us that healthy balance, Lord. That we would never beat anybody up with the Bible. But we also wouldn't be totally silent as well. Give us that healthy balance. That we might be ministers as we go out these doors. That we might be found faithful ambassadors for Christ this week. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we all stand, guys. God bless you. Have a great week. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you guys. Have a blessed week, guys. Stay focused. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free Hallelujah Death has lost its grip on me You have broken every chain There's salvation in your name Jesus Christ, my living hope Jesus Christ 